This talk was given at Insight Meditation South Bay. For more information and a schedule of our events, visit the Insight Meditation South Bay website at www.imsb.org. For information about online programs, visit the Bodhi Courses website at www.bodhicourses.org. Bodhi is spelled B-O-D-H-I. I may do a little bit of a, a different uh, way tonight. Often there's a sit, then there's a talk, and we're going to just sit for just a few minutes, and then I'm going to talk, and then we're going to sit. So a little bit different. With just a few moments just to welcome ourselves here. And to Take a few moments to check in with our own body and our mind and our heart. Perhaps it's been quiet a Tuesday. This may be the first time stopping intentionally with awareness. I like to call this a mindful check-in, a time just to check in and acknowledge how you're feeling physically in the body and perhaps what may get evoked with our thoughts and emotions. A time to check in and acknowledge what's present. So thank you. And we'll have uh, more time to practice after the talk. And so what, what I was sharing earlier is that um, the practices of reconciliation are very personal and important to me. And I have a an aspiration in my life, quite honestly. And that is that by the time that I get on to my deathbed, that I will have tried my best to make peace with myself, with others, and the world. And because of that aspiration, it reveals to me all the different places that I need to do some work on to make peace because I don't know about you but I, I have this very large book actually many volumes of everyone who has crossed me one way or another since I've been born and it's all written in very small font 
and takes many pages, books to fill. So that's kind of an exaggeration. But yeah, when I look back at my life and all the times that, um, you know, there's been a, a feeling of not being seen or understood being crossed in one way or another or disregarded, there's, there's a lot of buildup of residual resentments and grudges. You know, and I feel like as our meditation practice matures and grows, the, these areas are important for me personally, perhaps for all of us as practitioners to develop ways to relinquish the grudges, resentments, the judgments. So this has been a very important practice. I'm now 66 and, you know, obviously we're not going to be living forever and um, uh, death, of course, can come at any moment. And the importance of making peace is, is, is really up for me and as, as it has been for some time. I have a... a a mentor or a reconciliation teacher and that is actually my mother-in-law who has, has been gone for some time now and you know she was not a meditator she was a very simple and kind person her name was Charmaine and um, just to give you a feel of Charmaine like if it was your birthday or it was Christmas time she'd always send you a, send a card with well wishes and then she'd always ended with her typical signature, which was um, your special love mom. This is how she answered, signed off on every single card that she sent to all of the family. And, and I know that she really meant it. Your special love mom. Well, this woman, like for many of us, had uh, a, a wonderful and painful life. She was blessed with many, many grandchildren, many people just loved her because of her kindness. But she also had a husband due to various causes and conditions that perhaps we would never understand that led to betrayal, her husband leaving, and um, very painful situation. And yet whenever I was around Sherm, and already years had passed, so she had time to metabolize, to integrate, to heal her own heart. But I never heard any type of ill will or resentment or grudges towards her ex-husband. And that really impressed me. And what impressed me even more was that not only did she, I didn't hear her say any ill will or resentment or grudges or even any snide comments, but I also would hear her say, wondering how he was and wishing for his welfare, that he be well. I, I was so moved with, wow, I, I, I felt in my heart, I, I want to be like this. And so, um, so I've, I've made it uh, a practice to, to really look at the places that uh, my heart is still hardened. And honestly, I, I still have some good works to do. <laughs> and, um, but I'm grateful that, that I am embarking on this path and wanting to make some peace with myself and the world.
and in this deep work, I often do this with uh, my wife and I, Jan, we both individually working with these practices as well as um, in retreats that we've, we've also led. That we really identified three core areas of working with reconciliation that we feel are very important. And this has to do more with ourselves. Of course, there's larger areas of reconciliation. And I, I, but I won't go into that as the subject of the night. What I want to really speak about is three areas inside our own hearts to concentrate on those. And so the first area is to work with the, the practice of reconciling to the times I've been hard on myself. The second is reconciling to those that hurt me. And the third area is reconciling. I'm sorry, I'm going to take that back. The first one is reconciling to the times I've been hard on myself. The second is reconciling to the times I have hurt others. And the third is reconciling to the times others have hurt me. This is kind of a three-dimensional interconnected facets to the times I've been hard on myself, to the times I've hurt others, to the times others have hurt me. So these are very important areas that, that I've identified that, that I need to work on. And how, of course, this ties into the Dharma is that, of course, all of this is because of our conditioning and our identity and our experience. We've been shaped uh, you know, from early childhood, from our birth, it's developing our sense of identity and, and of course it keeps on repeating itself unless we become aware and see these narratives and these stories, these identifications. And perhaps we can begin to make some uh, profound changes. So the first is this area that I want to speak about is making peace to the times I've been hard on myself. This is actually a very powerful reading from Carl Jung and he says, I can feed the hungry, I can forgive an insult, I can love my enemy, and that these are great virtues. But what if I should discover that the poorest of the beggars and the most impudent of the offenders are all within me? And that I stand in the need of the alms of my own kindness. That I stand in the need of the alms of my own kindness, that I myself am the enemy who must beloved. What then? That I stand in the need of the alms of my own kindness, that I myself am the enemy who must be loved. It's a very powerful statement. And due to perhaps many of the causes and conditions of our identity that we, for, for many of us, have uh, at times a very self-loathing and negative view upon ourselves. As one teacher once said, if we said to others what we say to ourselves, said to our friends, we might discover that we, don't ha we won't have any friends anymore if we treated our friends the way that we treat ourselves. This conditioning is very strong, and particularly for early in our lives, if we were brought up to feel that we were damaged goods, that we were unworthy. I once on a retreat, worked with a woman, and her memory of her mother was, I wish I never had you. That is like a horrible thing to take in to believe, I wish I never had you. 
it's very interesting with this particular person that in her professional life she was a nurse midwife and actually helped thousands of babies coming into the world and in this retreat she finally began to make a connect oh maybe there is some worth to me i'm actually um helped so much life into the world and maybe there's a moment i could open up to some compassion of this story that i've been carrying with me that i'm unworthy i'm not lovable or that i shouldn't be here is is a narrative it's a story that i've taken on to be true and to me this is the most powerful gift of the dharma is to begin to see through these conditionings you know, there's a story when the Buddha awakened that he said that he experienced the unconditioned. And, of course, you can only know the unconditioned because there's a condition. And to me, the Buddha saw through the conditioning, fueled by greed, hatred, ignorance, by all these identifications, and being able to begin to see through these conditionings to experience deeper and deeper freedom. But these conditionings are very important for us and they cannot be bypassed. This is what we get to work with as a human being with practice, is our conditionings, is our stories, is our narratives, is our identifications. And to be able to begin to understand that and to work with it, it's not to be bypassed spiritually, psychologically. These are the conditions that we get to work with if we want to be free. So there's very strong conditionings for many of us that, uh, and we have uh, complete proof inside our own fabricated mind of why I'm unworthy or no good. So this making peace to the times I've been hard on myself is a very important endeavor. The second area that, um, that is also very important is beginning to reconcile, beginning to make peace to the times I've been hard on myself. I mean, on the times that I've hurt others, pardon me. And this is a, a very powerful work to these times that I've caused pain to another. And it's very powerful for us to, with transparent honesty, to actually begin to acknowledge, yes, uh, due to my own conditioning and due to my own unawareness due to at times of course wanting to protect myself I may have hurt others intentionally or even unintentionally it's very powerful for us to begin to own it to acknowledge it that at times due to my own unawareness and fears I may have caused some pain to others one of uh, a beautiful teaching that is found in, in the Dharma, in Pali, is called Hiri Otapa, which sometimes is translated as um, the recognition of moral shame, moral dread, but there's actually another more poetic and beautiful definition of this, which means becoming a guardian of the world. And so what this means is that when we recognize when we have heard another, and then we make the we and we learn from it so you could call it a sense of conscience we learn from it like wow what i did really caused some pain and there's an intention in our mind and heart to not repeat it so it's so it's more than just an apology an apology is good but also 
that intention to not repeat that action that caused pain. And then it's such a beautiful description. I love it. It's called the guardian of the world, a protector of the world. So this is how we pay it back, is by not repeating it. There's a very powerful story that I'll speak about that. And actually, I, you could say that the story is like almost like a modern-day Angulimala. Back in the Buddhist time, there was a murderer who collected a whole garland of thumbs. And um, he was very misled by his teacher collecting this garland of thumbs. And uh, finally, he, uh, he saw the Buddha in the distance and realized it would be great to get the Buddha's thumbs. I'm going to go kill the Buddha and get his thumbs. And um, the Buddha, of course, with some supernormal powers, sensed and understood of Angulimala's attention and performed kind of a, a, a very, like a miraculous phenomena where Angulimala started walking towards the Buddha, but the Buddha appeared to be still the same distance away, no matter how much she walked towards him. And then Angulimala began to run and then sprint, but still, nevertheless, the Buddha was still that same distance away. And finally, Angulimala collapsed on the ground, exhausted. And then Angulimala heard some footsteps come up, and there was the Buddha. And the Buddha was saying, what are you doing here? And you've been misled and began to offer him some teachings of Dharma, and on the spot he awakened Angulimala, which is quite an amazing story. And he asked the Buddha to become a monk, and in those days to become a monk was just two words, ehibiku, which meant, means come monk, and he was now a monk. And uh, the, you know, the story goes that uh, Angulimala became a great protector and a guardian of the world, a murderer that became a guardian of the world. And actually there's a tradition in, in Buddhist countries that when um, a woman is pregnant, that they will recite the Angulimala Sutta as a way to give a protective birth. Because the story goes one day that Angulimala, as a monk, came across a woman in labor and she asked him, please help me, please help me. And Angulimala said, I, you know, I, I don't know what to do, and evidently ran back to the Buddha, and the Buddha said to her, tell her something that's true. And so he thanked the Buddha, and he ran back into the forest where the woman was in labor, and he was thinking to himself, what is true, what is true, what, is, what does he mean, what is true? And then when he got to the woman, it came to him right at that moment, and he told her the truth that by ever since I've been born as a monk, uh, taking on these noble robes, I have not harmed any living being. And he recited this three times, and then the woman gave birth to a very healthy child, and she was healthy. And so this is a very beautiful story of um, the power of truth. So what I wanted to get to is that there's a to, to me there's almost like a modern day Angulimala, and I'd like to share with you the story. And his name is Claude Shin Thomas. Some of you may know of him. He's a Zen priest. But before he was a Zen priest, he grew up in a, a family that his parents were in the military, grandparents in the military, it's a military family. And so during the Vietnam War, he uh, enlisted into the Vietnam War. And um, he became, as he says, my job was to kill people. And I was a machine gunner in a helicopter. And this is what I did. 
and he's very graphic in his, you know, like his training in the military was to make people objects and it was just, they were just to be killed. And during Vietnam War, he was really good at what he did. There was often bets with every helicopter mission of whoever got the most kills would get a bag of heroin, would get some drugs or alcohol or whatever. And he won a lot of those bets. By the end of the war, he had killed over 350 men, women, and children. It, you know, I, could, I just say that so quickly, but to take that in. Like what he did. And at the end of the war, he came back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he lived on the streets homeless and was a drug addict. Living with this. There was a social worker that kind of took to him out on the streets and and supported, you know, and, you know, offered him, you know, resources to get food and different things. And, and finally, this social worker kept on coming by and kind of bugging him, saying there was a retreat that she really wanted him to go to and kept on bugging him and bugging him and bugging him. And I guess finally, like, she was becoming, she was such a pain in the butt Finally, he said, all right, I'm going to go just so you don't keep on bugging me. So he went to this retreat, which was Vietnam veterans. It was led by Thich Nhat Hanh. And he went to this retreat, and he met other veterans just like him, addicted, homeless, suffering from PTSD. And um, he started getting into practice, into meditation. It's quite incredible. He's, and he began to get off drugs, get into a rehab, continue with his practice. As time went on, he met Bernie Glassman with the Zen Peacemaker Order and really connected with Bernie in this particular Zen tradition and, and got really into the practice. And at a certain point, he asked Bernie Glassman, could I become a monk? And Bernie, knowing his past, said, yes, um, I, I, I'm happy to ordain you, but we're going to ordain you in a very significant place. And Bernie Glassman also is known for doing these retreats in, in Auschwitz for trying to heal the wounds of the war with, with children and uh, of SS family, uh, the family of, of the SS soldiers, as well as people that were part of the Holocaust and bring them together for healing the wounds of war. And so he said to Claude that he's going to ordain him in, at Auschwitz on the train platform. And so they flew to Poland, and that's where he was ordained as a Zen monk. And Claude Shin Thomas has a bit of a sense of humor. He said, after I got ordained, he says, I took a left, and I began to walk. And I walked overland for one and a half years from... Auschwitz in Poland to Saigon in Vietnam. It took him a year and a half to walk to Vietnam overland. And he said everywhere I went, I would tell people about what it was like to have killed 350 men, women, and children, and that peace is the only way. To this very day, Claude Shim Thomas travels to war zones, prisons, places where there's crime, and it's this little white guy in robes, like, what the heck does he know about anything? And then he opens up his mouth, and um, 
he lives so deeply with this. The only way that he can heal is tell what it's like to have done what he's done. So I, this is a very powerful story, but it really exemplifies he's now become a guardian of the world, a protector of the world. He's been to hell and back. He actually has a book called At Hell's Gate, if you ever want to read it by Claude Shin Thomas. But he's become now this protector, this guardian of the world. I'll never forget, I met him one time and he told this whole story and I was just so touched and you could just sense how real it is for him that peace is the only way he knows what it's like to have been in hell. So reconciling to the times I've heard another. And it gives me inspiration that if he can do that, I can do that. We all have had our past. And our past comes back to remind us and how do we begin to make peace with our past by learning from this and not repeating those actions as best we can. The third area that I think is also so important, and again, each is interconnected with the other, is making peace to the times others have hurt me. This is not easy. And it's very difficult to forgive. That's why sometimes I prefer to use the word reconciling or beginning to make amends, beginning to make peace. But there's also a part of this practice is the recognition that so long as we continue to live with a hardened heart, with grudges, with resentment, we continue to suffer. So this is one part of beginning to make peace to the times others have hurt me. And I know for some of us here, we may have been horrifically hurt by others. And so I want to be very sensitive with all of us here, but also want to say, like, is there a way like that I can begin to neutralize uh, any harborings of ill will or grudges or resentments towards others, knowing that so long as I continue to harbor this, I will continue to have some pain some suffering. It's also fair to say that just in a very humbling way, just as I become aware of the times that I have heard others due to my own unawareness, due to my own fears, due to my own woundedness, that I have caused pain to another, there's also that humbling recognition, perhaps those that hurt me, it came from their own conditioning their own unawareness, their own fears. So beginning to make peace to the times others have hurt me. And it's, it is difficult, but again, this harboring of pain, grudges and ill will is so toxic, so poisonous. And actually just about a year ago, my wife and I were invited to go to Colombia and we taught a retreat there. And we were in Bogota and our hosts, before the retreat started, brought us to this uh, exhibit called Fragmentos. The artist is Doris Salicido. Salicido. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it fully correctly. The exhibit is called Fragmentos. 
And if you look at it, on the outer shell is an old ruined building. And it's kind of a wall going around it where formerly the building was. And you can see right through that outer shell is very old and dilapidated. But inside was this kind of this building mostly made of glass. There was a regular roof, but then there was just walls of glass around it and a big black floor. And I was like, what? what? I, I had no idea where, where she was bringing us and why we were going here. So I'm walking on this black floor with all this glass. There was a few walls of the interior that were just white. There was no paintings. There was nothing. Just this big black floor, mostly. And then there was a little video that was playing in one of the rooms, and I began to to watch this and then some of the, there was a little bit of uh, a description about what this place was that I began to read and, and it was like, oh my gosh. The floor that I was walking on, so, so the artist had this image that when there was a peace treaty signed in Colombia, because there was 50 years of war, there's still insurgency there so much conflict, so much death, so many militias and narcos and military groups, just, just um, a lot of killing has happened in Colombia. But when the peace treaty was signed, there was an offering that everyone, anyone was invited to give the guns as a gesture towards peace to the government and, and, and this artist worked out a project. And so uh, there was actually 18,000 guns that were donated, given, and they were all melted down. And then they were poured into forms to form small little tin plates, like metal plates. And, and then they were cut and then they were fastened to the cement floor. So the cement floor that I was walking on, well actually on top of it was this black tin made of 18,000 guns. And the artist decided to get, to, to work on this project, invited many, many Colombian women who were victims of violation, sexual violation, torture, and they were part of the project. They helped make this floor and that these were sheets of metal and they were, there was the video and you could see them pounding and pounding and pounding these sheets of metal to make them flat so then they could be fastened to the cement on the floor. And then I was able to watch interviews of these women pounding and pounding and pounding these metals made out of guns. A number of them were crying, a number of them were being interviewed and saying, this is, I've been holding so much grudges and resentment. It is tearing me apart inside. I can no longer live with this. I've got sick with this. One person after another talking about this and, and there's something so powerful and therapeutic of pounding and pounding that hate, pounding that grudges, pounding that grief, pounding that despair. You have to make it to 
Bogota, Colombia, this place called Fragmentos, where you also could probably look it up. There's some um, YouTube little short documentaries about it. This is like making peace to those that hurt me. And it was so powerful to feel how alive this was for so many of the people as they shared how painful it is to harbor these resentments and these grudges. That it was so toxic and so poisonous inside. So making peace to the times others have hurt me. You know, there's a beautiful Zen-inspired translation of the Book of Psalms by Norman Fisher, and I'm sorry to forget the full name of it. But I really like some of what he did there in the translation, because often uh, more uh, older translations within the Book of Psalms, they sometimes will speak of certain people as being unrighteous, wicked, bad, evil, very strong descriptions. And what he did very cleverly enough, wisely enough, is he changed all of those words saying that they were they they were not mindful. They were unaware. And I love that as a translation. Like is there really evil or you know, I mean well there is certainly actions that cause tremendous pain to another, but is it come from a place of evilness or does it come from a place of unawareness and distortion? Again, related to our conditioning. Again, related to this conditioning, to these identities. When we look at the Paticca Samapada, the um, dependent origination, the very first link is Ignorance is unawareness, and from there everything begins to go. So, my teacher Tampulu Sero, a Burmese forest monk, used to say, If you know, you can break the cycle. If you don't know, you go around and around. This is dependent origination. If you know, you can break the cycle. So knowing is the opposite of ignorance or, or of not knowing. So, the, the emphasis on knowing, on awareness is so important in our practice. Because with awareness, we begin to recognize, oh, here's this conditioning. Here's this identifications. Be able to begin to see this and begin to set us more free. So this making peace to the times others have hurt me. So this is a big work of a lifetime, these three areas, making peace to the times I've been hard on myself, making peace to the times I've hurt others, making peace to the times others have hurt me. A very powerful practice of really beginning to investigate the nature of our own mind, our own conditioning, our own identifications. So this is probably good segue to go into practice now. And this is why I wanted to speak first, to set some of the, of what I want to um, convey on this importance of reconciliation. And again, as, as meditators and our practice matures, this making peace, 
becomes so important. So I want to invite you to, if you feel like you'd like to stretch for a moment, reposition yourself so that we can, um, we'll do a, a sit for 30 minutes or so. So feel free to just, um, you know, take a minute if you need to have a bio break. Getting into a position where you can be comfortable and awake, whether you're seated, standing, or lying. Just feeling into our posture, feeling a sense of connection to whatever your body's upon, be it a chair, a cushion, feet on the floor, lying on the floor, the different points of contact. just gradually just just sensing into the body with different sensations or if it feels supportive to come to the breath whatever you use as a familiar object I often like to offer a few options such as sensations is one the breath is another and a third could be listening to sounds my early years, sound was uh, one of the most um, primary objects that, I, that I've worked with. It was introduced by my teacher, Tampu Lucero, perhaps because he's in the forest tradition, there's a lot of different sounds in nature. So whatever feels suitable for you, whether it's listening to the different sounds coming and going or orienting towards sensations within the body, or perhaps just being aware of the breath as it comes in and goes out, feeling that point of contact where you feel the breath most prominently and distinct. And bringing together the steadying of the mind by focusing on either one of those objects, bringing together how they have beginnings and endings so we can also unify these practices of steadying and insight. Inviting in, lastly, the attitude of attending with kindness. The mind wandering off, acknowledging the wanderings kindly and bringing it back. So we'll just settle, have a little bit of silence for a little bit before we shift into some practices around this reconciliation being present.
And now gently shifting and healing into our chest and heart area. And of course, this is within the chest, uh, organs of the heart, the lungs, the center of our circulation and ventilation. And of course, the area of we can get in touch with this preciousness and this fragility of our lives, of life. We know that one day it will be otherwise. Sensing into our hearts, our breath, these great vital organs of life course connected to all of the other organs and systems. But this life ever so fragile, ever so precious. And sensing into our own hearts. As we begin to bring our awareness into the reconciliation to the times I've been hard on myself. For many of us, there can be times that we can be hard on ourselves, judgmental, critical. Very interesting that just one month ago today, I became a, a grandfather. I'm very fortunate that our grandson is, lives with us, with our son and daughter-in-law, daughter-in-love. One of the amazing things to be around a newborn is uh, not yet being enmeshed in conditioning. I've had 66 good years of cultivating some deep conditioning, but to be around a being with such a little bit of conditioning uh, is really exquisite, and of course, he does have to get enmeshed in his conditioning, like all of us. And the gift of the Dharma is beginning to become aware of conditioning and not being held hostage by it. But at times, due to our conditioning, we've been led to believe of our own deficiency or inadequacy, unworthiness, or ineptness. And so perhaps with our awareness is growing larger, beginning to recognize this part of ourselves that still believes in our own deficiency or inadequacy due to this conditioning. And perhaps as we grow with more awareness to become less caught up in it, begin to see through it. beginning to make peace with our own hearts to the times I've been hard on myself, critical, judgmental. For many of us, we may carry these core types of beliefs of our own unworthiness or deficiency. Of course, these are our beliefs. 
perhaps they're not the full reality of things, but these are part of our narratives. They become part of our stories. And this type of understanding, we can begin to recognize that that's not all of me, this identification, that there's more to me than just this. Becoming less identified that this is the gospel truth. Beginning to make peace, to reconcile to the times. I've been hard on myself. But sensing into that, Feeling into it, these times being hard and critical. Beginning to recognize and acknowledge the conditioning, the stories, the narratives. This is what begins to set us free, making peace. The times I've been hard on myself. expand as well to this beginning to make peace to the times I've heard others again perhaps born out of my own conditioning and identifications and of course some self-preservation to be safe the times that, that have caused pain to another knowingly or unknowingly Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.